We're going to have a good time running through this. I have loved this series. I hope you have. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, it's been long, but we are almost at the end. Um, today we're going to do 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. So we only got two books after that. And so we've come a long way. And if you have missed some of this journey, I really encourage you to go back and listen to what you've missed. Because what you see is that this message that God has portrayed for us from the beginning has not changed. That his affection for us from the beginning and the story of his love for us has not changed. And honestly, you'll see that the struggles of the people really haven't changed either. That our fight is really the same as those that we saw in those early days that feel so far back. And uh, it's just been very cool to see this bird's eye view from beginning to end. We can't cover everything, but we try to give you what we feel like the Lord is pulling out for us. And uh, we hope that encourages you to dive deeper. All right, so these three letters were written by John to a mass of home churches that he basically was overseeing. Um, 1 John was written to all of these churches. 2 John and 3 John were written to individual churches. But all really writing to address a very specific issue of disunity amongst people inside the church. Um, some people were causing confusion and chaos by basically claiming Jesus wasn't God or Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And John writes these letters to refocus his people. Much like Vince Lombardi at the beginning of seasons would take NFL players who had played the game their whole life and he would hold the ball up in front of them and say, hey, this is a football. Here's what you're going to expect as we play this game. Would start them at the basics. John communicates from the basics. In fact, he says many times inside of this letter, I'm not writing you something new. This isn't a new command. This is an old command you've heard. He's reminding them because he comes from a place of someone who walked with Jesus. In fact, he starts and establishes his authority with these people by saying, I was there. This is my Loganville translation of this beginning of this thing. Are you ready? He says, I was there, man, from the very beginning. I was there when he called me. I was there. We were there. He used the term we, me and the other apostles. We were there when he fed the 5,000. I was there when they took him away, when they crucified him. I was there. I ran to the empty tomb. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw the resurrected Jesus. I touched him with my own hands. I was there. This isn't secondhand knowledge that was passed down to you. I saw it. I touched it. I was there. This is important because John is an old man, and he's writing to this next generation of Christians who are experiencing this confusion and much like that telephone game you played when you were a kid, right? Truth can get skewed along the way as it's passed on. And we have to come back to that original source and say, what is real truth? So that we can see it clearly and operate inside that truth. So John starts reminding them of what it looks like to follow Jesus. In, John, in 1 John 1, 6, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
He says, man, if I walk in the light and you walk in the light, that brings me joy. We have fellowship together. Let's do this together, next generation. Let's do this together. But what does it mean to walk in the light? He's saying we have people who are walking in darkness and say like, yeah, I have fellowship with God. He's saying that's not, that's not true. So we got to have to ask ourselves, what does it look like to walk in the light? It's not just to be without sin. In fact, right then he says, hey, if you walk in the light, God is generous and will cleanse you of your sin. And then right after that, he says, hey, if you live your life and you say, yeah, I don't sin, you're making God out to be a liar. God spilled his blood for a reason, to cleanse you. So it's not to be without sin, but it's also not to just knowingly sin and live in rebellion and know that what I'm doing is what we would call transgressions in the Bible. We're all born sinners, right? But a transgression is when I know I'm living outside of what God is calling me to do. So that's living in darkness. So walking in the light is operating daily in the knowledge and awareness of God, making choices with his protections in mind, and really following his commandments. So it's interesting that how often we see in the Bible light is used. And so what we know about light is light reveals to us what's around us. Light shows us where danger is, where we could be harmed. Light shows us where we'd be safe, right? So I was just thinking about where do I experience darkness physically as I considered what it meant to walk in the light. And I was thinking about like, you know, getting married is an adjustment, right? I got married very young. So um, getting married at first, um, you're like, you're just pumped, right? You're like, someone else is sleeping in my bed. I could do it. Then you realize that like most of the time you're just sleeping in that bed. And that can be difficult, right? Because when I was 14, my parents gave me their king-size mattress. So from 14 until 20, I pretty much slept like this, <laughs> right? So that pretty much takes up the whole thing. I mean, you're a little far away, but this is not small. This takes up the whole thing, right? <laughs> so, um, so you learn to sleep with somebody else there, right? And one thing that you learn is if you have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you must navigate to that bathroom in the dark, as to not wake up your spouse, okay? Now, I know some of you are saying, that's what you have a phone for. You turn on a little flashlight or whatever. Well, it's policy in my house that we don't bring our phones into the bedroom. We leave it for my kids, for us. That's just how we operate. So I've stubbed my toe because of that law, but that's okay, <laughs> all right? So we leave it in the bathroom, and so my pattern to the bathroom is I have to come up zigzag over past the footboard, which is, of course, like solid oak and this tall, and then past a dresser that's very large. I whack my hip into it. And then just to make things more fun, I have two dogs that sleep in my bedroom, okay? One that sleeps in the same place every time. You don't have to worry about her, okay? The other one wants to be at your feet all the time. You never know where he is, and he's solid black. <laughs> so, I mean... I might be setting myself up for, for failure, but that's, this is part of it, right? And you just feel like the Lord will guide my way because I'm such a good husband not waking my wife, and then things go wrong and you hurt yourself or whatever. One, probably twice in our marriage, um, we awoke to what is the foulest odor ever, and 
um, realizing that one of the dogs had gotten sick somewhere in the room. And you think, how many steps is it to that light switch? And if, now just think about it. An odor so bad it wakes you up is not one that you can go, it's over there. I mean, that's, the whole room is full, and i got to navigate to this area, desperately needing light. So one time, Lisa, um, she got up in the middle of the night. She really only had like a four-step straight shot to the bathroom. She normally does. I try to make it easy on her. Um, I wake up to her going, okay? That's in quotes. That was pretty much exactly right as I remember it. And I said, what's wrong? And she goes, oh, the dog threw up. I just I stepped in it or something. And I go, oh, God, I'm sorry. And so I turn the light on. And what he had thrown up was a whole mouse. Still intact. I don't even know how that's possible. I don't think he caught it. He's not that agile. But he apparently thought, I'll swallow this hole. And his body said, no, you won't. And she stepped right on it. The light revealed what the problem was, right? We need the light to reveal. We need the light to give us this framework for what is actually happening in front of us, okay? John Piper paints this picture of a man in darkness, and he reaches to one side, to his right, and he feels something hard and cold and sharp. And then he reaches to his left, and he feels something warm and soft and comforting. And so with all the knowledge that he has on his own, he, comfort, he leans into this object where if he realized that the lights were on, the thing to his right is a sword meant to defend himself against the man-eating monster to his left. Why don't we utilize the light when we have it? The light is the framework that God has given us to see this world And we don't view this world in the light of God's perspective. We can't see it properly. We can't evaluate what's actually happening. We make choices based on our own selfish ambitions and self-protection rather than a response of worship to a God who has poured out his affection to us. We've been given so much guidance from the Lord. These protections on how to make decisions and how to follow what he's put out that Um, When we don't follow it, we're kind of like a guy who refuses to ask for directions. We don't look to the expert who knows it all. We just say, we'll figure it out because I have my own desires to fulfill in this life. Walking in the light, John hammers home that God is love. So walking in the light is loving one another. And we say here that to love one another is to do the most redemptive thing for them which often is hard. And loving one another is impossible to do selfishly. And if this is the best definition we can come up with, to love one another is doing the most redemptive thing, then part of that has to be sharing that Jesus is the Christ and that his love for them is immeasurable. But this still freaks so many of us out. I just want to ask you, like, What freaks you out about sharing your faith? If this is part of walking in the light, sharing your faith with others, proclaiming the good news, why don't we do it? 
I'm convinced that when we ask ourselves honestly, we say, well, it's, it's a little scary because they might respond badly. Like, what if, what if I don't know enough to answer their questions? Or um, what if they get mad at me or, or try to ruin my reputation? Or I, or I, or I, or I, it becomes about you and not proclaiming the good news of the Lord, which is walking in the light. This selfishness pulls us away from being able to walk in the light appropriately. So walking in the light is keeping his commands, loving those around us, and allowing the wisdom of the creator to guide us. Another aspect of this thing is coming off my ear because my head is just slightly larger than Tim's. Um, All right, I fixed it. To walk in the light is also having a firm foundation in truth. Second John is all about this. He writes this to a very specific church who he knows people are coming there who have twisted the gospel. And he's saying, I pray that you're grounded in truth, that truth guides you. Truth is absolute and unchanging. Facts can be situational. And this is an important difference. Truth is the foundation from which I live my life. Facts are just kind of what's happening to me. Okay, so I'm going to give you just a quick story to illustrate this. So I've got a buddy who's a, um, who's a very uh, successful businessman. He actually retired very early, I think at like 47. He'd done very well for himself. But he was doing business in Japan. And a great guy. Um, learned a lot from him. And he... Uh, was sitting at the table celebrating this deal that he's closed with these Japanese businessmen, and they start sliding sake over in front of him, okay? He, he was not a drinker, but he didn't want to be rude culturally, and so he was like, all right, I'll just have a little bit of this, and, you know, we'll, we'll be done. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow or whatever, so he partakes in some of it. He starts to feel the effects of it. He starts to be a little concerned, but he thinks he's got it under control. He goes back to the hotel goes up to his room. He's like, I just got to get in bed. I got to sleep this off. He goes to change his clothes, and he's like, I, he couldn't hang up his clothes. It's like he couldn't get a grip on his, the hangers. It's like the room is spinning. Things aren't moving, or they're just all moving in front of him. He's like, what is happening? He goes to the window. Um, he goes to close the blinds because the light of the city is shining through, and he looks out, and he's just like, the world is just moving. The flagpoles off this building look like they're shaking, and he's like, I did not think this was this bad. I am hammered. I've got to go to bed. So he lays in bed, goes to sleep. The next morning, he comes downstairs to check out. The guy at the front desk said, sir, everything okay with you last night? And he suddenly becomes very self-aware. He's like, I mean, I knew I was feeling it, but what really happened? Did I crawl through the door? I thought I walked through the door. I mean, he's, so he says, why do you ask me that? And the guy said, we had a massive earthquake last night. <laughs> so here, his fact was he had partaken in some alcohol and he was feeling the effects of that. The truth was everyone in the building felt the effects of the ground shaking below this very large building. 
Sometimes it's hard for us to see past the facts of what's happening in our lives. We're distracted by our own pain and struggles, and I'm not saying that they're meaningless, but we forget to lean into the truth that God is in control, that our greatest battle has been won. We miss the purpose of our pain when we forget the truth. We don't give God the opportunity to reveal himself through it because we become so self-absorbed and focused on ourselves. And so just like my buddy, all I can see is myself and maybe my own shame because I feel like I went too far and all these things and I miss the truth of what's happening. So John is saying to this church, hey, Be grounded in truth. And when you allow your moments in your life that are difficult, when you allow the Lord to work in those times, to reveal himself to you in his comfort, in in him growing you up, this is where we really see the maturity of the Christian move forward. Don't decide that your pain is meaningless. Don't decide that your struggle doesn't matter. It does matter to the Lord, and he wants to meet you in that, to grow you up and mature you as a a Christ follower. In fact, John addresses this growing up in faith in 1 John. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. So he separates them kind of into these three categories, right? Little children, young men, and fathers. And it's interesting as this next generation is like a grandfather looking down at a family being built. He's saying, we have, we have things to learn but let's mature through this. He's, when he refers to little children, he's saying these people who have either just come to the faith, they're newborns in the faith, or they're stuck in this early stage. Because the fact is that early on in our relationship with God, he kind of meets us in our selfishness because he answers a question that every one of us asks. What happens when I die? Where will I spend eternity? And so he finds us inside that question and answers the hardest question that we're going to ask ourselves. But the problem is, if we stop there, it can easily remain about us. Because he secured my salvation. And John in this says, little children, your sins have been forgiven for his namesake, for his glory. He's reminding them, saying, hey, we got to keep moving. Let's keep growing up. Then he talks to these young men. And as we all know, adolescence is tough. Right? The, the excitement and the, sometimes the passion of this newfound faith is starting to diminish and the hard work begins. And so he uses this terminology that you're going to battle the evil one and you're going to win. Speaking as this encourager, because you're At this point in your following of the Lord, you are facing persecution and temptation and the things that will try to waver you. And you're asking questions like, what do I really believe? He's saying, you can win. Come on, let's keep going. Let's build it up. 
Stand in truth. You can win. And he talks to these fathers and he says, basically, you, you've known this. You've known him who's from the beginning. You weren't born into it. You've grown. You've developed. You've been with the Lord. You've experienced these things. And this is where we want to be. We want to grow to this place. And not just for our own understanding of who God is, but also for the sake of the world. If he's calling us to be ambassadors of Jesus to this world and to grow up other disciples, we need to be a place in a place of spiritual maturity and wisdom, knowing who God is, what he says, and knowledge of his word, and responding to him in his call, and have done it enough to where we do it accurately. And this happens with time and time and time and continuing in practice. It doesn't come with a single prayer at the altar. That's why we say, when Tim did a series years ago, it was going to be basically about his testimony and how his operating with the Lord, we were talking about what to title it, and we landed on 11,000 days, although that's not really like... Uh, you know, it doesn't just roll off the tongue, 11,000 days. We were trying to make the point that every day we're waking up and deciding to surrender. Deciding to stand, to stand in truth and to put ourselves to the side. Which is the, the battle of the Bible for us. Is to ignore our own selfishness and wanting to advance the things that are most important to us and valuing the things that he values. And if you watch this series from beginning to end. That's what you see over and over again. And as you grow up, see, so John is looking at these churches and he's saying, we have these people who are trying to deceive. They're trying to cause confusion inside the church. He's saying, don't forget you're not alone. You're meant to do this together with other people who are standing in truth. And most importantly, with the Holy Spirit and being attentive to it. It's something we just sang about. Saying, let us become more aware of your presence. Because the chaos is real inside the church. It's real for us now. We have a million voices speaking to us. What they say truth is and what they say is actually going on in different perspectives. And the opportunity for our view of God to be twisted is primed. We have to come back to the source and be ever attuned to the Holy Spirit. John looks at the church and says, listen, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And then again in 1 John 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. But this you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist, you read that and you're like, whoa, I read those books, right? Um, it gets kind of crazy, but you read all that, okay, and it sounds really plain, 
right? That, okay, I'll, I'll, if you tell me Jesus isn't God, all right, then you're going to, uh, I'm, I'm just not going to hang out with you or we're not going to have fellowship, okay? But it's way trickier than that. In fact, a lot of people who are twisting the truth of who Jesus is knock on your door monthly. <laughs> Their view of who God is is twisted and they would not reveal that to you immediately but as you spend time and dug in you would realize that a lot of that door-to-door evangelism from specific other religion is a twisted view of who God is just like these people who are trying to infiltrate the church the truth is Jesus is God so how do I stay in tune with the Holy Spirit one of the questions I get all the time from youth and from adults alike really is how do I hear the voice of God Because that's hard, right? Everything else in our life seems so easy, right? You just, you don't even have to tune it in. You just press a button and you hear what you want to. Everything, every answer is on your phone. And yet the greatest need we have is communion with our God. And it's a struggle for us. And I believe it's because it takes so much time. You know, Jesus says in John's gospel that, um, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. They know me. How do they know his voice? How does the sheep know the voice of the shepherd? This makes me consider this little puppy I have in my house right now. All my stories are about dogs today. Sorry. Um, I have this little puppy that my girls manipulated me into getting. And um, uh, she's cute, right? That's how the puppies get you, right? They're cute. And um, she, but she's a spaz, okay? She's much more squirrel than dog sometimes. Like, her head moves back and forth. It's like the most ADD dog I've ever seen. Just, you know, all the time. And, but tender-hearted little dog, whatever. And so she comes home. When she arrives at her house, we've had her a few months now, she doesn't know her name. She doesn't know what, uh, you know, what we expect of her. She doesn't know the rules. She doesn't even know who we are. Right, but after months of being with us, me calling her name, she's like, "Oh, that's me." Now she knows the tone of my voice. She certainly knows when I'm pissed. <laughs> she reacts. She cowers. Right? She knows when I'm pleased with her. Right? She still doesn't obey everything I say. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. She still doesn't obey everything I say, but she's starting to know the expectations on her because her and I have spent time together, right? And the rest of my family. We've been there with her. We've been walking through life with her and saying, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, okay? And if the gap, there's a gap, obviously, right? I'm smarter than this dog most days, okay? So the gap here, she's learning from me. The gap between me and God is so much bigger. And how I truly understand what he's calling me to do and be in tune with the Holy Spirit. I'm not spending time with him daily, longing to hear from him, reading his word so that when I feel that he's calling me into an area, I can bounce it off what I know is solid truth. This is how we learn to hear the voice of God. And for so many of us, we want it to be this quick answer where I can just step in and say, okay, I'm a Christian now, I'm going to hear God. 
I mean, the Lord speaks, and sometimes it feels out of order, and people can hear it way quicker. But for me, it took years and years of practice, and it's still practicing it, and still learning, allowing yourself to be filled with revelation and awe as he reveals something to you. And you have to approach him with a humble heart to be able to see those things. Because sometimes we've been in church a long time. For some of us. I mean, you may have been in church your whole life, and you've heard all of these things, and you kind of feel like you know it all. Like you hear a verse, and you go, yep, I know that one, and you won't let it sink into you. Say, Lord, what would you say to me in that today? And God can take your honesty. You can say, I feel it's hard for me to take that in, God, because I feel like I, I know it. Can you teach me through this? Teach me to hear you. Allow me to be vulnerable so that I can feel the revelation of your spirit on my life. This is being attentive to the Holy Spirit, which is essential in walking in the light. Let the Lord build your discernment by spending time with him, by being with him. And lastly, I will say this, and this is not out of these three letters. In the Gospel of John, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So let's just be clear. If you're unclear about what I just said, some of you might be, when he writes this letter, when he writes his Gospel, he says, yeah, Peter was there, and the, God, the disciple Jesus loved, and he's talking about himself. Okay? I viewed this as, like, arrogant for quite some time. I was like, that's crazy. Calm down, John. I'm sure he, you guys were cool. This seems like a lot, right? But after years of, of consideration on my part in allowing God to say like, hey, let's look at that again. I believe that this is essential for each one of us to be able to say this. We all must be in a place where we can say, I am the one that Jesus loves. He made you unique and his love for you is unique and immeasurable. John's understanding of God's affection for him was so clear. It made walking in the light easy because he just knew what he had was so much better than anything the world was going to offer him. So my question is, can you say it? Can you say it to yourself and believe it? That I am the disciple Jesus loves. I'm just, I'm, you can put your name in there. I'm the Chad that Jesus loves. I'm the Drew that Jesus loves. And step into that affection because here's the truth of the matter. I've said it from this stage before. What is familiar becomes unfamiliar. You might have heard since you were a child that Jesus loves you, this I know, and you've heard it so long, but then you've made so many decisions in darkness, it's hard for you to believe. It's hard for you to step out in your own life and walk in the affection of the Father. But the fact is that he does love you. It seems like such a simple thing to proclaim from up here. What are you going to say? You can say anything you want. I'm going to say, live your life in the full view of God's affection and walking in the light becomes so much simpler. 
He wants to see you move today to move towards a greater understanding of who he is and the freedom that comes with knowing him. You can be free. Let's grow up together. Let's walk in the light. If today you're walking with the shackles of the past holding you back or the weight of guilt on your shoulders, there's good news. You don't have to do that anymore. Step into your inheritance as a child of the king. You are the one Jesus loves. He's calling your name specifically. Answer him today. Move towards him today. He desires a closeness with you to reveal himself to you so that your life won't be a series of duties that you're doing to him, but in a response of affection because you see the immeasurable love that's in front of you.